In 2021, Craig and I moved to Zambia to pursue a common goal of living in a new country and immersing ourselves into a different culture and experiencing new ways of living. We were met with open arms from the local community and hostility from those who were there to exploit them. This is our story about institutional racism and what happens when you challenge it. So, um, we're going to start off this conversation by just remembering um, why on earth you um, decided to come to Zambia with me. I don't know. I remember making an omelette in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Some kind of egg thing. A, left, uh, a curry omelette. That's what it was. Mm. And you said, hey, Craig, what do you think about Zambia? And I just said, let's go. Um, I loved the idea that there was still a wild part of the world left. And, you know, I was outdoors. My family was into camping and hiking and backpacking. And pretty much any chance I had, I was outside. And even if I didn't want to be outside, my parents would send us outside. Because, you know, two boys and a, and a princess girl stayed inside forever mm-hmm. and yeah so that was a I mean it was it was a no-brainer for me um, there was a book by Dan Elden called mm-hmm. the journey of the destination and that was something I read I think when I was early 20s mm-hmm. he was a photographer for Reuters he grew up in Africa and traveled around there he started like a, a a safari, a touring guide with his friends, and um, yeah, so it was just like I mean, I was just, I was just obsessed. I and I just thought like, why not? Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm always up for a good adventure. Right. So I'm interested that you talked about the National Geographic magazines, because mm-hmm. then I'm wondering like, what did you picture? What did you imagine? You would find. Uh, I had no fucking idea what we were actually in store for. Right. I mean, I didn't know we were going to be in that wild of an environment mm-hmm. to where we literally had to, like, it was not a safe place to be. You had to watch your every step, uh, literally watch every step you made going to the bathroom. There were scorpions on the floor mm-hmm. outside, going to the car or the, uh, at night when I was going, like, helping farming and stuff mm-hmm. in the mornings like I would you know I have the we had the headlamps yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know it was gonna be that wild but no. what what did I expect I guess I guess I expected it was gonna be more um, Sahara like uh, I don't know like grassland kind of and uh-huh. some pawnee trees and more like you can just kind of walk about freely but Closer to the park or in the park, you would definitely stay in your vehicle and not, yeah. not mess around. But where we lived was the the, um, the wildlife park. Well, next to it, yeah, yeah. Um, game management, the GMA area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a shock. Uh-huh. And I remember like specifically um, the conversation that we had at the ki- in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I said, "I'm looking at applying for a job." in Africa, would you come with me? And you just said, hell yeah. 
<laughs> Is that what I said? Why not? Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. And there was no, like, I thought there'd be, well, there'd be hesitation, there'd be some conversation, maybe, well, Africa, they don't mind. You, you're expecting me to just give up my life in America and go, but you were 100% like, hell yeah. And, and I was yeah. too. I saw the job advert and I was like, yeah, of course I have to apply <laughs> for this job. Like, this is. Well, yeah, I guess also too, the other side of that is that we, I mean, I had been in the trade show business for 20 years mm-hmm. in the pandemic hit, and which is how we met mm-hmm. after like, one of the many lockdowns or non-lockdowns. Like we, like we, I lost everything. So mm-hmm. I lost my career. There was nothing to go back to. Right. And even if that job started back up, I didn't want to go back to it because right. I was at the point of being done with it. Yeah. And. So yeah, that that was a huge factor, and I knew I could work remotely and do design work and stuff online. I just yeah. didn't know that where we moved to, there was no online access. Really, there was nothing like there was no signal, or if we did have it, it's you know, it could be cut out any time. Our yeah. water supply, our electricity was just constantly on and off. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of uh, unpredictable mm-hmm. factors. Yeah. that we didn't know oh we could have guessed some of them we could have predicted some of them but uh, we were assured otherwise mm-hmm. yeah. so sarah why and how did you decide on africa mm-hmm. what what was your influence how did you find the job why yeah. did you think africa would be a good idea a good idea well i don't really know but but at certain stages throughout my life, I have looked at or applied for jobs in Africa, mostly um, volunteer jobs or um, NGO jobs. Um, so, for example, I studied the development studies, and so I went for a job in Burkina Faso, learned disability and development, like inclusion worker. Was completely not qualified for it. No way I would have got it. Don't speak French. But Where is Burkina Faso? Burkina Faso is a. Burkina Faso is a country in, um, in west of Africa. Okay, tiny, like, like Ghana and yeah, tiny. Um, okay, there's so many countries yeah. in Africa that tiny socialist, as a Marxist country. Okay, um, have looked at applying for or actually applied for jobs in Africa that haven't been qualified for um, and haven't got because I, I wanted to explore, as you say, this like um, um this sort of wild this original place that seems so exciting musically and artistically and of course the wildlife. When I saw this job um, on Facebook, I had most of my teaching jobs through Facebook as an international teacher, it's common. Um, It was advertised as this idyllic um, bush school, would you like to be the headmistress of a small bush school in the heart of the National Park of Zambia and um, and I knew I was qualified to do it, I knew I could get a job and suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, this is my opportunity, this is my chance to go. Um, so although I had a fantastic job that I loved and I wasn't especially looking to move, this advert just popped in front of my face and there was nothing I could do, it was calling me and I had to write the application. Um, and I knew I'd, get, I'd have a good chance of getting an interview because I knew that I met all of their requirements. Um, yeah, and so it became like a dream. It became an exciting and fantastic mm-hmm. yeah, um, dream and possibility. I think both of us were 
stoked about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you did mention something about like arts and 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 ambient music and all yeah. that, like you know like uh, prior. That's one thing I have to say is I I've always been fascinated with the textiles and the colors and uh-huh. Africa and the just the beauty of yeah I mean there's a shiny behind this yeah can be either a head wrap, a dress, a skirt, mm-hmm. uh, also shatenge just means shelter, mm-hmm. right? So it could just be a shelter. Yeah, yeah. It's just a shelter. Shatenge yeah. is also the um, shelters that they build for community gatherings, mm-hmm. every family. Like a hut. Like a hut, an open hut. Yeah. Yeah. But all that, that's fascinating to me. I wonder yeah. how they build those. I wanted to learn. I just want to learn other culture and farming yeah. and yeah. just get out there. And, I mean, one of the first things we did was got off the plane, I kissed the ground, yeah. you know, <laughs> and then Fuwe, it was just like, wow, we're here and you could smell it. And I remember like flying in, we were coming across, just looking down, and it was just nothing. just nothing. Just trees, occasional trees. Mostly desolate, you know, and that yeah, started yeah. to worry, like, oh God, where are we going? Where this are we going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were. Yeah, exactly, and and um, and the school itself. As I looked into the school, there was very little information about the school online. Um, but the more I looked into it and spoke to the um, the parents who'd set it up, it seemed like a good ideal. Um, the school's in an extremely poor part of Zambia in this village called Mfui, and uh, and it was in the bush. And Mfui schools have about. Um, 100 students per class, per grade level, and um, they're very crowded classes. And that's boys and girls, so one, boys, either a boys class or a girls, girls class. Yeah. per like each grade. Yeah, and, and the style of teaching is very old-fashioned. Um, Zambia is an old British colony, and like a lot of old British colonies, they still teach like schools in England used to. Unfortunately, they don't so much anymore. There's rote learning repeat after me, sit still, be quiet, and, um, and do your lessons. Do you feel like it was your duty as an apologist to go and, and make oh, that, you know, correct that? Sorry. From your, your ancestors, from Sorry. your past? Sorry, for the sins of the British people. Yes, so the point was that this school was a small school, um, and it was a fee-paying school, but um, the fees of local children were covered by the fees of expat children. Um, and to me that seemed like a good balance. Um, I could understand why it would be very difficult to go into that part of Zambia and teach in the way that I teach. Um, but, uh, but I could in this school, because it was a small school that was fee paying, but it was providing education for local people as well as expat people. It seemed like a good balance. Um, Did you know what the uh, ratio was at the time? It was meant to be 50-50. Yeah. yeah. And actually, um, in reality, it had gone the other way. There were more um, black kids than white kids. Mm. Zambia, mm-hmm. um, historically, had been um, part of a British colony called Rhodesia. And Rhodesia, Northern Rhodesia and Southern Rhodesia, I forget the exact details, but Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, and another country maybe Tanzania, were all um, this country called Rhodesia, named after a horrible English um, 
politician called Cecil Rhodes. Mm. And, um, and in the 60s, Zambia gained independence. It wasn't until the 80s that Zimbabwe gained independence. Um, and I thought that as an independent country, um, the British would have stepped away, accepted that this country had nothing to do with them, except that it was ex allowing them to live there. You know, it wasn't their country, the people weren't their people, and they didn't have to live to British rule anymore. Um, however, it felt like um, on arrival that a lot of the British people there... Uh, when we arrived yes, to Zambia? Yes. Is that... It felt like um, as we got there after a week, maybe less, that a lot of the British people there two days maybe maybe, maybe. Um, thought that the Zambians should still be under British governance people go there on safari um, to, to look at the animals these days they used to shoot them and um, big change good change and we were, one of the things we were puzzled about when we first got there was why were there no black people um, running the lodges, managing the lodges, in any kind of management position that we saw, later we found a few, but in any of the positions that we saw, it was always white people who owned the lodges and white people who ran them, and white people who paid black people. Very low wages. Very low wages, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's just capitalizing on lack of, of jobs, and yes, and need for money. And need for money. Yeah. As so, our friend said to us, he could make everything he needed from his farm, but he couldn't make soap and toothpaste and things to keep himself clean. He couldn't turn the guacha. Yeah, so but he, he couldn't make the he couldn't make the money to buy. Exactly, but he didn't need to buy him much. Yeah. He said, but, and I remember him listing yeah. specifically. You know, if I didn't have to buy soap to wash my hands, mm -hmm. we would manage everything else. Yeah, they were, I mean, Zambians are completely, the local Zambians there in Mfui, <clears throat> I would say let's not go outside of that area because I can't speak on that, really. but extremely self-sufficient, growing maize, um, sunflower seeds, making their own oil for cooking, fishing, mm -hmm. catching their own fish. Making um, their own clothes. Making their own clothes, yeah, yeah um, everything, making milly mill to make the enshima would start selling their products like breads mm -hmm. and like okay so they in yeah. a sense they, they they established their own functional communities everywhere you went yeah and and no one was homeless no one starved and mm -hmm. and you know, i can't tell you how many times i was invited to people's places come see my home and meet my family and mm -hmm. break bread with us and you know and and i would show up and you know, and hang out, and I, I'd feel terrible, like, like eating food with them, because I, I felt like, oh, man, I, this, this, I don't need to eat this, but they were so proud, and so happy to share that with me, and you talk mean about her. because there was a, a wealth gap? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. they, they were clearly using all of their funds to, to feed themselves. To feed themselves. Yeah. There was no, I mean, there was no excess. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most excessive thing is Ambient has is a cell phone. You know, and those are usually secondhand and they have broken screens mm -hmm. and, and they have to still go and top up their services and... Keep it charged. Yeah. 
um, and that was, but that was a huge thing so they can continue to communicate to the outside world outside yeah. of Infui and mm-hmm. even to Lusaka and communicate and, mm-hmm. so those are some of the talking points for session two mm-hmm. Sarah's explanation of why she went to Zambia and Craig's interrogation of, and interruptions and it's good interruptions are good Okay, so we didn't just like, Sarah applied for a job in Zambia and then we moved to Zambia. We maybe didn't prepare as much as we could have, but we did do some exploration, right? And most yeah. of the exploration we did was through the people who ran the school. That was the biggest mistake, was that we listened to the people that hired you. Yeah. We didn't do independent research. I tried. The school didn't have a web presence. If you look up on Fui, um, on Google, you don't find much, right? Well, we found out why the school doesn't have a web presence. Afterwards. Afterwards. Before we yeah. went, the school didn't have a web presence, and Fui barely has a web presence. Um, South of the Village, of course, does, but it's all linked to the lodges and the, the, the tourism. Um, so it was pretty difficult to to find anything out. Um, so all we did really was find out that Zambia was politically peaceful, um, and yeah, I mean that's all we found out, right? Yeah, and what we found out was and very was, odd. I remember finding that out. was through interviews and video chats with yes, the future employees. Of course, uh, it was a head teacher job. I had some interviews um, to go through before um, before I got the job, as you'd expect. I think I had two, maybe three interviews, and they talked a little bit about trying to ascertain would I be the right kind of person for the place more than was I the right kind of educator for the school. Um, was I able to deal with change and? weird situations and adversity and all that kind of stuff. And then we started having these conversations, me and Craig and the people um, who were going to be employing me there. And that's where we tried to find out some information, right, before we made a firm decision to go. Well, I think we were already pretty excited about going, but we wanted to know about, I mean, we we had, as you can imagine, Mm-hmm. Go into a rural place in the middle of the bush. Mm-hmm. You have tons of questions, safety yeah. wise, and what do we need? What was you know transportation? Um, uh, yeah, just I mean, all the things you can possibly think of. So yeah, we had tons of questions. I asked about I think for instance was you know uh, transportation for me could because I wasn't. They said they had a bush vehicle that they would supply mm-hmm. you with. That you can go use to get back and forth to school and right. do some and the, yeah, errands. Accommodation was quite a long way from anything. Yeah, they they told us we would be in the bush yeah. next to the like in the GMA area. You know, I I had asked like, well, can I get a motorcycle? And no, 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 no. That was like, uh, no. Elephants hate motorcycles. You get yourself killed. Mm-hmm. No one has motorcycles. Elephants especially hate white people on motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. yeah. And it turns out when we got there, there was motorcycles everywhere. People mm-hmm. rode them constantly. I've never seen so many people fit on one motorcycle in my life. To, to be honest, I was yeah. Plus yeah. two buckets of fish. Yeah, fishing poles, two buckets Big of fish, old, like, and fail, four fail, four fail, guys fail. on a <laughs> single riding motorcycle. Zipping down dirt roads mm-hmm. and bumps and mm-hmm. rain and whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of the deception things that you know. That obviously, I could we could have advanced and got a motorcycle, and, and I would have been fine zipping around. Yeah. Instead. But as it was, they said Craig could drive the school vehicle. And so long as it was available when it was needed at school, which wasn't that often. Mm-hmm. So um, so we took them at their word for that. We had the emails to talk about that. They said, you know, keep your expectations low. Don't imagine a Porsche. It's more of a bone shaker. Yeah, they called yeah. it a bone shaker. Yeah, the sure. one email that stood out that became a huge issue was from one of the... Yeah, school people. School people who maintain the vehicle from a different lodge mm-hmm. that uh, their child was attending a school. She had told us like, in the email, don't, uh, don't, don't down your window, don't down your windows. And so there was a typo, and so we just took it as like don't roll down or don't leave your windows like, don't, down don't leave your windows down or don't like mm-hmm. and like we or don't leave yeah don't leave down the window like, I don't know we, we the way it was written was, was completely clear. easy to to misunderstand yeah. even though there's a typo we didn't question it mm-hmm. we just figured okay they don't leave your windows down because she had told us a story about how um, she had came to our place to drop off some essentials mm-hmm. and had left her windows down and monkeys. The vervets and baboons are just Fast. curious mm-hmm. little shits and they did just shit all over her car, mm-hmm. I guess, inside because she left the windows down. And yeah. So that's life. that's kind of what we thought. Mm-hmm. But what she meant was don't roll the windows down because they won't go back up. So, yeah. and when you're dealing with uh, 95 to 100 degrees, uh, Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. forty five degrees, 40, centigrade. yeah, centigrade, mm-hmm. forty five, and one hundred percent humidity, like, and no air conditioning. Do you expect us not to roll the fucking windows down? You know, so so okay, so we're I'm digressing again, but um, that was one thing, um, and that's that the reason why we're spending so much time on that is because it became a huge, huge ordeal that vehicle. Yeah. Um, me driving it, um, a lot of f- accusations from people. They they basically use that vehicle as a tool to try that to start forcing us out and yeah. pretending like, or making us to look negligent. And, right. and and you know I I was realistic and they talked about the terrain and where the school was and how flooded it got and I said I don't have any experience driving off road. Um, Craig has tons of experience driving off road, and I'm gonna need him to help when it's flooded. Mind you, all you four, four by four <laughs> off road drivers, you've never experienced Sammy driving in the rains, in the mud, in the even just in the bush. Like right. this is a completely different terrain that you, even me, experienced as I was. 
um, there's no way someone that came from Liverpool, the UK, that had never never drove off road in their life is going to be able to drive this vehicle to work and back. Because even that trip from our our place there to the school, which is only about a quarter of a mile. You couldn't walk because you might get killed by elephants, lions, hyenas, uh, baboons, uh, snakes, whatever. So yeah, you had to drive. So I ended up driving her back and forth. We got permission for that. And then, of course, going to the store and running errands. And um, so that's, that's, we'll go back to that. The the bone shake or something we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. But so that was one, you know, one element that, that I think should have been addressed so the deception was that was a huge deception there mm-hmm. um, we also talked about um, or we probably asked them specifically about um, the sort of cultural things that we could expect to find yeah because when you, when you go online you don't yeah you, 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 there's certain things you go to research about online on your own that you just can't get answers for no exactly and they were people who lived there for a long time had presumably a lot of experience living there, and so we thought there would be good people to ask. Um, and we were told it was pretty clear. Um, for example, local people who we were told don't like you swearing. So just you know, just watch out for that. Um, dresses should be always below the knee, preferably down around something modest, down around your ankles, ideally. Unless unless you want to look like a floozy or prostitute like that was kind of yeah. that was their words um, and that we shouldn't have expectations of making friends with local people um, except of course the expats um, because they for example didn't have um, dinner dates and then they gave examples of when they'd invited local people around for dinner um, for a dinner party and the local people had uh, brought the whole family and hung around. At the time, we talked about it afterwards, and we recognised that that was just that was just silly. That they were asking, you know, it's not culturally appropriate to uh, invite people who have very little money and don't have dinner parties in their culture. Don't invite them for a dinner party and expect them to behave like they go to a dinner party in uh, in Brighton in England. They're not going to behave like that. They're going to behave like they're going to a dinner party in Mfui in Zambia, right? So, so expect. So we noticed at that point, like there was a difference between what the expat people, my employers, were saying. Well, they, they don't behave like us, basically. They, yeah, exactly. They don't behave like us was the message that we were getting, and we recognised that that was a you know a problem, um, but wasn't a problem that we would be adopting because. We were more open-minded about those kind of things. They also told us not to loan anything to the locals. Yeah. And when we say locals, we, we definitely mean black. Mm-hmm. When we say locals, we are not talking about the white locals that were there, mm-hmm. the minorities. Although there are some amazing white locals there. Like let's, we have mm-hmm. to make a point of that, too, because there are... And those that are amazing are notably extra amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, 
Uh, yeah, so they, they gave us a lot of disinformation mm-hmm. about what we should do, how we should handle it. Um, don't loan anybody money. They'll ask you for more. If you loan them something, they'll never get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, don't invite them to dinner. They'll invite 11 of their family members. They'll stand around. It's really awkward. Um, you, you name it. Like Basically, the underlying thing of this was do not fraternize with the help. Is That's what we were told. Mm-hmm. Um so there was a lot of cultural differences. They also told us to don't bring nice things here because the bush is rough it, uh, yeah. on electrical equipment. Um, Probably it, true. Power surges. Power, power surges. Uh, and also theft is a huge thing. And there's black black thieves in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, lock your doors. like mm-hmm. Common sense. The other thing we were told... Um, pretty clearly, was that they would help. It was even in the initial job advert, they would help find a spouse employment. Yeah, they did. They said that they that I would have no problem finding employment there. Mm-hmm. And when, I, when we arrived, I was told I could work on safari lodges and building these projects and with my background in, in construction and trade shows Amazing. and, and just getting food and mm-hmm. like I could be I could write the menu for their, one of their yeah. cafes oh, they blah, blah, blah. Food, yeah they, and so and that that just was non-existent they had no intention of hiring me or helping me or doing anything so that was that, that was horrible because we we basically had given everything up and moved there and sold most of everything and just mm-hmm. put a bunch of money in the bank but then we're out we're out there with me making no income and the only thing I could rely on was doing design work online and doing freelance work which um, first of all the internet was horrible also um, once they turned on us, once we turned on them and told them, I told them to F off for the future. For the future, then we were, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going way ahead. But it was very clear at the time, when we were making our decision to go, it seemed like you would get work too. It seemed yeah. almost 100%. By Christmas, you'd have work, they said. No yeah. problem. Someone like you, with your portfolio, you'd get work, it wasn't an issue. Um, And so although we overlooked the things that were red flags, because we thought that they were personality differences and we would just do things differently, um, and because we really, really wanted to go to Zambia, um, we packed up all our things, sold everything we owned, (laughs) started to get our stuff together to move. And then we 